Well, Dean, mm. <laughs> when we started the show, I mentioned to you, um, I really want to talk about obscure films. Mm. And I think I found one today. And also, I think that, if anything, <laughs> this film is going to give some appreciation, some understanding of what it is we do as screenplay writers. So, with that being said, I will simply say, fade in. Hello there. Welcome to episode 11 of the Mixtape Podcast, the podcast dedicated to deconstructing film from a screenplay writer's perspective. I'm your host, as usual. My name is Marcelo Inestroza, joined as always by my sycophantic, sometimes, screenplay writer friend, Dean Stark. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about the 2007 film Final Draft, starring Dawson Leary himself, or a.k.a. James Vanderbeek. So, Dean, as you do every episode, you want to take us down a timeline of this film? Sure. So this was directed by Jonathan Duick, sorry if I'm not pronouncing his name right, with a severe case of writer's block, aspiring screenwriter Paul Twist begins to descend into madness. Alone in his small flat, his isolation has deadly results for not only himself, but everyone around him. Um, First of all, I don't know, uh, thinking about it now, I don't know who wrote that because he does not live in a small flat. He lives in a ginormous fucking warehouse. (laughs) It's not a flat. uh, So I don't know who wrote that, but whoever wrote that clearly has not seen the movie. But anyway, that's what the movie's about. And when Marcelo brought this up to me, I had never even heard of it. It was so obscure. And he said, oh, no, it's about a guy that's a struggling screenwriter. Like, it's about, like, writer's block and what we have to go through. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting because there's been a few movies like that. But I really like James Van Der Beek. I'm, I'm a huge Dawson's Creek fan. And when I heard he was going to be in this, I'm like, oh, okay, he's actually he's actually quite good. So we the opening of the movie, we kind of – the first thing we see is a flash of a falling – man and you don't know who he is you kind of just see it from like beneath him and then you see James Van Der Beek in in the bathtub and he starts calling out to somebody named David and he turns around and just like the bathroom doors kind of open a crack and you see a clown face and then he kind of wakes up and the clown face is quite creepy and the way that they did it is good because it's just kind of like a flash and I was like oh okay so his name is Paul Twist which I thought was an interesting name but um anyway so that's that's kind of the opening scene a dream which yeah I look I gotta ask you from a screenwriter's perspective there's a lot of movies that have an opening sequence as a dream. Is that a yay or a nay from you? In this in this instance, it's a yay for me because I was so horrified by the last one that we talked about that had no story structure whatsoever. I was just pleased to see this film lay hats on the ground and then pay it off a couple scenes later or in the next scene. So in this instance, it's definitely, definitely a yay for me. And if you think about it from a story structure, everything, everything that this character has in his soul, all his issues and his main character flaws are introduced in the very, very first scene. So it's very, very efficient in that way, but it can be viewed as lazy because as a screenplay writer, 
one of the cardinal sins that you can create is tell story by 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 placing it in a dream. That's one of the most laziest ways to communicate story to your audience. But in certain aspects and in certain situations, it works. And I think it works here. Yeah, in some situations it works. Sometimes it doesn't. It just depends on the story and kind of where you're trying to go with it. So the first scene is we see Paul, James Vanderbeek, and he gets out of bed and you instantly you can see he's poor as shit. He lives in this big warehouse, but there's nothing really in the warehouse. There's like maybe a couch, maybe like an old school TV. Um, you know, he goes into the kitchen. The water doesn't work. There's mess everywhere. Like he has no food. Like he's just really quite a disgusting person. And that's just FYI. Like that's not how, that's not how I live. That's not how screenwriters live. Okay. But he is actually, it's just disgusting. Um, and there's just there's dust on every like you you see his computer desk and it's just covered in dust. So you can just I like that bit because that bit actually says he hasn't fucking touched his computer in what looks like years, um, and it really reflects his mindset because I always I've always said that your home reflects your mind like in real life too. So if you go into someone's house and it's messy and it's dirty blah blah blah, it just reflects the the scatteredness of their their brain. So I like that because the director was showing, not telling. Um, so the next scene is he's at a cafe with his friend, his actor friend. I actually thought he was, I actually thought when I saw him, he was his agent because it wasn't said who that guy was. And he was talking to him like an agent. But then later on, we find out he's an actor in one of Paul Twist's films that he previously wrote. Um, so his friend's a dick. Because his friend's eyeing up the waitress and looking at her her butt, and he's just the chauvinistic pig. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's that's fine. Um, then then Paul says, or James Vanderbeek says, he had a dream, and his friend says, oh, is it about your ex? And then they start having this conversation about, you know, how his ex dumped him, and how he's he's obviously still still cut up about her. He still loves her, and she left him, she dumped him, and so that's kind of that's good character development because you're like, oh, okay, so you can see he's kind of in a depressed state because he's alone, he's lonely. And that makes sense with how he lives because somebody that is heartbroken, depressed, doesn't care about themselves. They don't care about how they live. They don't care that there's dirt everywhere and they haven't showered in like a fucking week. Like they don't care. So, and I'm going to switch it over to you. I mean, I can tell it, but like you probably tell it better. So he starts saying, telling him a story about a clown because this guy's like, oh, do you have any more stories? What are you going to write about? And he goes, hmm, I have a story about a clown. So I'm going to let you tell the clown story. Yeah, I just, uh, like I said in the beginning of the film, I thought that this film did a fantastic job of putting hats on the ground that would get paid off, you know, a scene later. And basically the clown story is, when James Vanderbeek was a kid, he went to the circus with his brother, and they saw this this clown do his act, where this clown spit water onto a fire stick. And for the last trick of the evening, the clown came towards James Vanderbeek and his brother. He blew on the fire stick, but the fire didn't go out straight away from the clown. Instead, it projected back into his face. And it basically, he, the clown basically engulfed in flames and died, like like right on the spot. So that scene really enforced why James Vanderbeek 
had that opening nightmare about the clown because it connects to a childhood trauma. And now he wants to try and write a script about this childhood trauma to get it out of his head. So I feel that that is really, really good character development. And just as a pinch of salt on top of all his misery, his wife left it. So that explains why, so that explains why his part, his apartment is in the state that it is. So everything, everything from a story perspective at this point is locking up and in line so far. See guys, writing is simple. You just have to think about it. You just have to know what you're doing because there's a lot of people that write scripts ah, that go, and, they write a script. This is going to be it. really fun. And then it's like, this is really great. And then it's like, and then it gets made <laughs> and then it fucking gets yeah. made. And you're sitting here like, oh my fucking God. Um, but anyway, so he tells the clown story and he says something interesting. He goes, can you imagine if you were on stage in front of kids and your face was, you're burning alive and the last thing you heard was kids laughing at you? And I was like, wow. Like I just sat in that for a moment. I was like, wow, yeah, that would suck. And because he was like, me and my friends, like we thought it was a joke. Like we were, they were like when he says a kid, like I'm I, I'm thinking like maybe eight, seven, eight, nine, maybe like a kid kid, right? So you don't know any better. And I was like, damn, that'd suck. And and his friend's like, well, what's the story? And he goes, What if the clown comes back later and kills everybody? like kills all the kids that were laughing at him but makes it look like a suicide and his friends kind of got going like wow that's really fucking like that's really fucked up and he goes what do you think I think I'm gonna write it and I was like oh that's cool and I thought that's actually quite a creepy story if you think like if you got that right I reckon actually that would be a creepy story so I really really loved loved that scene I love the story that he told I thought it was super creepy um so anyway after that scene uh, we're back at his, you know, disgusting. Oh, couldn't even look at it because, like, I'm also, I'm so not like that. <laughs> yeah, or what? Right, right. I'm not like that either. But also, I think I I, I think you're missing. Uh, I, I think I I just want to in, interject a small little thing that his douchebag best friend said mm. because you know when he first pitched him the idea, and I would just like to say something about pitching scripts yeah. as a scriptwriter. Okay. If you have an idea for a script and you're 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 going to pitch it to a friend or an agent, okay? If you cannot summarize your script in one sentence or two sentences, as a writer, our job is to our job is to uh, make our thought process as succinct and as simple as we can, right? To the person who is listening to it. So don't give them the whole Bible. Just give them enough to make them interested in what you are going to potentially write. Now, his friend said, um, why? Uh, because, because James Vanderbeek said, okay, at the end, the, uh, you know, you know, you know, um, you know, the clown is going to, is going to find somebody to torment these people and they're going to commit suicide. Right. And he goes, why suicide? Because he says it's relatable. It's much more intriguing. Instead of a guy running around just stabbing people, that's boring. You have to give the audience something that they can relate to. That screenplay writing 101 right there. Mm. So yeah, you're right. You're right. I just, 
I, I, I just like, I, I was like, yes. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. That reminds me of it because isn't didn't that happen in it where the clown made it look like they they committed suicide? Wasn't that the same thing? I think so. I, I, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, it was I the same so. because the clown scared them. So, I mean, it wasn't exactly the same, but the the cl- Pennywise scared them so much that they just killed themselves. Like not the same, but but similar. But you're listen. You're right on the pitching thing. Okay, so the next scene is. Um, he's at home, he's in front of his computer, he's dusted it off, um, he falls asleep and then dreams about the, the creepy clown from when he was a kid. He kind of wakes up with a startle and his friends in his um, his warehouse kind of asking more about the story and, you know, pitching and all that. And he's, it's funny because he's like, how's he going to make him like, how they, how are they going to make, how's this clown going to make him people commit suicide? He goes, oh, he's going to hit them over the head with a bag of oranges. And I'm like, a bag of oranges? <laughs> what? Fun, but bizarre. I'm like, that's, and he goes, why a bag of oranges? And he, and James Vandermeer goes, oh, I've heard that, that if you hit someone with an orange, it doesn't cause bruising. And I'm like, is that true? I have to Google that. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, it sounds fake, but I thought that was quite funny. So he's asking him, how long is it going to take for you to finish the first draft? And James Vanderbeek says a month to listen. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, I have to acknowledge that this douchebag of a friend that James Vanderbeek has, you know, sort of sprinted on him. Right. So he he just gave him a he, he just gave him a general pitch and his friend turned halfway around and said, oh, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you what? 18 days. Mm. Right. And. That is unreasonable, but if you have an idea in your head and if you feel passionate about it, it is possible that you can, you can, uh, you can, you know, get the bones of your idea in a first draft, and it is possible that you can pump that out in a month. It all depends on the writer that you are. Yeah, it's yeah, it's possible. I mean, I I have done it, but I'm a fast writer. If I get an idea in my head and I've got everything aligned, like I'm literally writing like 10, 10, 12 pages every day. But that's not normal for every other writer. Usually for a first draft, a month, they'll be like, what? A month? Usually it takes, I don't know, like at least two to three months for a first draft from any writer to, to be doable. Um, that's why when he said a month, I was like, a month? Like you must be, you you have to be at your desk for hours and hours and hours every day. And writers like just cannot do that because I don't know if people know this. Here's a little like hidden secret. Writing screenplays is fucking exhausting. I said, do you know how mentally exhausting it is? And emotionally, if you're putting everything you have into these characters, like if I write five pages, I got to take like a three hour nap. I'm not even joking. Like it is, it is a lot to write. So you know, if you can sit there and write 10 to 12 pages every day, like, yeah, you can do it in a month, but most screenwriters can't do that because it takes a lot of energy out of them. And most screenwriters have full-time jobs, so they can't do it. So that, that takes longer, but a month is doable, but I, but in the real world, I just, I think it would take a bit longer for normal screenwriters to, to do it because they've got other shit going on. So, um, moving on with the story. Yeah. His friend goes to his calendar, um, and which has like his calendar has like a sexy girl on it, which I'm mentioning because it comes back. Um, 
you know, he circles a date and he goes, I've set up a meeting with you and a producer friend of mine for 18 days from now. And James Vanderbeek's like, I can't write a first script in 18. Like 18 days is fucking pushing it. And, and for a first draft, like I would never give a producer a first draft. A first draft to me is the vomit draft. It's a draft you literally show nobody. Although the vomit draft is useless since you should never show it to any, anyone, I agree with you on that, but it can give your friend or producer an idea of what you want to do, and then they can help you achieve that idea if you do need help. That's true. So, That's true. Again, 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 it goes back to what you said. It's a case-by-case basis with different writers. But another thing, I just wanted to punch the fuck out of this guy when he – when he left the room and he said, do it, just fucking do oh, it. Yeah, and I'm like, are you, I want to, I just want to level this fucker. Yeah. And, and we, you, and we haven't got there yet, but it's implied that James Vanderbeek hasn't written anything in what, like 18 months. Yeah. Mm. Which is interesting. It's interesting because the movie sets him up as someone that had a hit. He wrote a screenplay, had a hit and he hasn't written anything in 18 months. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how that works because first of all, wouldn't you have an arsenal of screenplays behind you? Like, so he wrote one screenplay and that's it. And it's a hit. And now he can't write anything ever again. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, you know, you, your agent would drop you, your manager would drop you. Like, because he had a, from a screenwriter's perspective, he had a hit movie. So wouldn't he have offers coming in to, to, to do, at least rewrites, page one rewrites. Um, you know, wouldn't he have offers from production companies to write scripts? And like, how is he do? How has he done nothing in eighteen months? He, uh, well, again, I, I think you're right. I, he he would have offers from agents and production companies if his film was a hit. Which in this film, it's implied that his one film that we know of was a hit. But also, we have to take into consideration the thing that sort of destroyed his life as an individual that also plays a huge part into your into your production as a writer because as you said writing is a very it's an arduous process it's very painful and it can hurt especially if you throw yourself all the way into it and James Vanderbeek's character to me seemed like an individual that throws himself into it right yeah and sometimes as sometimes as writers before you start writing, you need this anchor, right? And I feel that James Vanderbeek's relative who died of, you know, horrible circumstances was his anchor. That was his happy place, right? And when that was taken away from him, I think he started to doubt himself, not only as a writer, but as an individual. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. I think, I mean, look, he's set up as a person that just doesn't like himself. So it does make sense that he hasn't written anything, but, you know, he should probably go to therapy before he starts writing screenplays. (laughs) Let's continue. (laughs) Um, The next scene, I loved. This, I related to this, and every writer can totally relate to this. So his friend leaves and he sits down in front of his computer and he sits down and he he goes to write it and then it's like next minute, He's playing with the basketball. He's watching TV. <laughs> he's even fucking cleaning the windows. And I'm like, oh my god! He's like, he goes for a walk, goes to get some food, <laughs> and it's like, oh my god! 
it's hard to explain to someone the procrastination that completely takes over your life with a script because it sounds yeah. like, oh, you just don't like writing. And no, that's not it, but it's no, just that's not it. It's it's it takes so much out of you that it's just it's just like you know you would it's like oh there's something on TV like anything to get out of it you will do yeah you will do and you know writer's block I don't get writer's block a lot because when I get a story the story just comes out but I have had writer's block and it sucks it fucking sucks because you literally sit there in front of the computer for like an hour and you got nothing. <laughs> and you're just like and you know you have to have something because it's like it's your job most people like some people mm-hmm. it's your job to do it and you're like fuck i have nothing i have nothing wait um he got yeah he's procrastinating he goes to the store to get some food um and then he gets home and there's like another flash of the falling man who we still don't know who it is yet he gets home he hears a noise he grabs a bat he walks around his house and there's nobody in there and so you're like okay is there someone in there or is it just him like you just you don't know at this point so the next scene is he's sitting at his computer again um and obviously does nothing (laughs) and then he goes to the couch to sleep um and then he sees like blood coming out of his wrists and then he wakes up and it's a dream. This this movie um, shits me a lot because there's a lot of dream sequences in this movie and there's too much and it's it's overkill because it's okay to be like, is he dreaming or he, is he awake? But there's so many scenes where it's just like, oh, he's awake. Oh, he's dreaming. Oh, again? He's dreaming again? Like the half the movie is just, I felt like, him in a dream sequence, like, yeah, I don't know. What what say you? I, uh, again, I think, well, I, I, I do think that you're right. But for what they wanted to communicate in the story is like, how would you have done it otherwise? Like, how would it, how, how would you communicate what he's going through if the producer of this film or the director came to you? And what, what would have been your approach to that? My approach would be to do it exactly like the next scene, waking dreams, not dreams where he's actually fucking asleep and then he wakes up, waking dreams, uh-huh. which is the next scene. So, which I actually really loved this this next scene. So, he's James Vanderbeek sitting at the cafe and the waitress comes and asks, "Oh, where's your friend?" and he's like, "Oh, you know, he's late. I'm just waiting for him." And then she so she says, "What does he do? What do you do?" And he goes, "Oh, you know, I'm a screenwriter." And he says he wrote a movie called, I think it's called Screaming in the Wind, something like that. And she was, she starts fangirling all over him. She's like, oh, my God, you wrote that movie. I love that movie. And then she starts quoting the dialogue. She's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, it's amazing. This movie's amazing. And he's just, like, got this smile plastered all over his face. Like, oh, my God, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And she's like, oh, my God, can I have your autograph? And he's like, yeah, of course you can. And she hands him – um you know, waitresses always have like a pad of paper to write down the, the orders. She hands him the, the that, the wad of paper, and he grabs it and he's trying to like grab it to give her the autograph and she's pulling back on it. And I'm watching the scene going, what is she? Oh my God, she's weird. Like what the, what's, what's, is she like playing a game? And then she's just got this look on her face and he goes, oh shit. And he lets go of it and she's just like, um, so what do you do? And he goes, oh, I'm I'm a screenwriter. And you're like, oh, my God, that whole sequence was in his head. That's how I would have done the movie. Not wait, yeah, not but- going to sleep and waking up, like waking dreams. Because that scene worked and it was brilliantly done. 
It did, but um, it, it actually it actually got tipped off really really early. Um, I thought because if you if you look at it when she first comes up to the table to talk to him, the director does something really weird mm-hmm. with the camera. Mm-hmm. Right, he does like a he does like a zoom, but then he like then he like you know you know you know twist the camera upright just a little bit like a zoom, and then he like moves the camera just a little bit. So I'm like. Huh, that's really, really weird. Uh, but that, yeah. that to me signified that he was dreaming. But then again, as someone who doesn't necessarily pick up on little things like that, uh, but from, from a writing perspective, I really, really like that scene. And it, you know, it, it really shows how, you know, how sleep deprived he is and how, uh, sort of depressed and sort of melancholy he feels. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't notice directing stuff. I I notice writing stuff. I never notice direct. you're the you're the person that notices that. So that totally went beyond me. So anyway, the re- waitress says um asks about his friend. Oh, is your friend coming? You know, I'd like to get to know him like get his number and and you know, James Vanderbeek goes, "Oh no, he's gay." And I thought, what a fucking shit thing to do to your friend. What a shit thing. Like you like you don't you don't know this girl. So he doesn't like her, he just likes the way she looks, right? And she's asking for his friend's number. Oh no, he's gay. That's the shittiest thing. I mean, how fucked up do you have to be? Like, this is your friend. <laughs> like that's but, but, so you know, fucked. But you know, but in all fairness, his friend is a fucking ball bag. No, so, that's and true. He's a dog. That's true. His friend is a dickhead. His friend is a dickhead. So you know, you, it could go either way. So anyway, his friend shows up, and you know, he's like, "Well, what have you done?" He's like, "Oh, I haven't really written anything." And so James Vanderby goes, "I need you, I need you to lock me inside the apartment." And his friend's like, yeah, you're crazy. He goes, no, no, no. You don't understand. Like, I'm distracted by everything. You need to take everything out of my apartment that could distract me and lock me, like, bolt the door so I can't leave. Which I thought was extreme because anybody that's, like, you have to go outside. You have to, as a writer, you have to... You have to have those moments where you can go outside, where you can just relax. I'm not talking about, like, procrastinating, like, full on. But, you know, that's, like, the worst thing you could possibly do <laughs> is lock yourself. I mean, he feels like he's doing the right thing. But for me, for mental sanity, it's, like, the worst thing that you could possibly do. No, absolutely. Um, look, what we do is hard enough, but the worst thing that we, the worst thing that we could do as writers is put ourselves in a little box and force ourselves to do the thing that we love because then we're going to really, really get bad. Um, but yeah, I just like, like the, the second he said, Oh, I'm going to lock myself up in a room, you know, to do the script. I was like, this is such a bad idea. Like someone in their right mind wouldn't allow this to happen. And I'm like, Oh God! What whatever's going to happen now isn't going to be good. It's not going to be good at all. One thing that I absolutely hate about this film, and the only thing that really drove me ragged the entire time, is that every time we see James Vanderbeek writing at the computer, like when he starts writing for the first time, we you know you know we hear you know fade in, you know exterior wherever we are, and we're in a tent. But after that, they show like cutscenes of him writing, and. The format 
the 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 text that he's writing on screen isn't in proper screenplay format and it's red and i'm like what the you guys are writing a movie about a fucking screenplayer about you guys are writing a fucking movie about a screenplay writer at least the least you could do is get a copy of Celtics or final draft on there and make it look proper he could be writing gibberish for all i care but at least put in that little amount of effort that's the only thing that drove me fucking nuts look there's a few things where i thought i didn't think a professional screenwriter actually wrote the screenplay first of all getting a first draft done in one month i mean it's it's doable but it's ridiculous and then yeah and then talked about that yeah and then that that the yeah i noticed that too and i was like why is it in red (laughs) and i'm like oh my god you're writing a movie about a screenplay writer like yeah i don't know let's see anyway let's fucking just continue so then so then or or mm, what, what, one more thing. One more thing. Or, look, the movie is called fucking Final Draft. Yeah. You could have made a deal with Final Draft, which is the premier screenplay writing software in the fucking industry. Yeah. Duh. Yeah, that's true. Promotion. That's true. Huh? I know. I know. Oh. No, there was no thought right. put into that at all. <laughs> yeah. At all. But that's true. That's so fucking no true. No thought. So anyway, his friend oh. locks him in, bolts him in. I mean, he's. I mean, James Vanderbeek's character is already fucking mentally fragile as it is. So locking him in is just like you know it's just going to not go well. So anyway, he's at his desk writing. Finally, he's writing, and then his fucking computer crashes, and I my heart dropped because that has happened to me multiple times. And and I understand. Oh my god, the pain I felt when his computer died. It was just like taking me back to all those times when it's crashed and I hadn't saved it yet and I've just – you just want to fling yourself off a cliff. I mean, honestly, like it's – oh, my God, it's horrible, especially if you're writing like um, um, feature films like, and you haven't saved in like 20 minutes or something and then it just crashes and you cannot get that shit back and it's just like, fuck. And you're just like, oh, my God, this guy starts writing and then his computer crashes. I would – because okay the problem the the issue i have with this scene is we don't know why his computer crashes so it just shows the little light going off on his big bulky fucking 2001 computer right but we don't know um is it is it because usually when a computer crashes you get like a blue screen of death right so there wasn't that the whole computer just turned off he didn't even attempt to find out what the problem was he just went oh well and then just went and fucking did other, sh- other shit. And I'm like, I would be trying to find out. I'd be calling my friend saying, listen, can you come over something you need to, can you help me with my computer? Like I would be trying everything. And he just does nothing. He just leaves it. He goes, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just leave it. And I just thought that that was, that was a bit weird to me. Yeah. I mean, look, when, when his computer, cra- when his computer crashed, I was like, oh my God, I'm having, I'm having, I'm being triggered right now. <laughs> Because I cannot tell you guys how many how many scripts I've had to start over again because I'm always a motherfucker who forgets to save or waits till the fucking end to save and never, ever do that. No. Because, <laughs> no. oh my God. No, well, if you have Final Draft, it actually like automatically, it, there's a yeah, little pop-up it's, box that it, says, do you want to save? Yeah. Yeah, you, you, yeah, it does. But the fucking moron writer that I am, you know me. I'm kind of yeah. It's just a fucking nightmare. Yeah, I know. I know. It's just fucking. It's a nightmare. I know. So anyway, after that, um, he he starts like unpacking a box. I don't 
look, I don't know how long he's been there. I don't know why he's got boxes of his shit everywhere. Did he just move in? That wasn't really said. Um, so he's unpacking a box and he finds a VHS tape and then he sets up his – because he's dismantled his, like, television, so he fucking puts it back together again. and He cut the cord on it. Yeah. Um, and then he, he watches the VHS tape and his ex is in it and there's another guy in it that we, we don't know who it is. It's like a, a young guy and he's, he's obviously – I mean, you kind of know that something happened to this guy because you just kind of get that feeling as James is, is, is watching it. And then – as he's watching the video, his computer just randomly boots up again. Let me just mm. – let me – yeah. <laughs> I don't know who wrote this script. I don't know if they know anything about computers. Yeah, you're, it doesn't – I don't – my computer has never work like just randomly boot – I mean, I don't – even when it crashes, it doesn't. You have to You have to manually boot it up again. It doesn't just – boot up. I mean, I don't know. I don't, it depends. It, look, it depends on the crash, but we don't know what type of crash it was because this character took no means at all to kind of investigate. He was just like, oh, fuck it. I don't care. And then the computer just rebooted itself. So I don't know. It depends on the crash, I guess. I'm going to let that one fucking slide. Um, and then he looks at his computer and he says, no, fuck you. You had your chance. And I'm like, dude, you need to go to therapy. <laughs> You need psychotherapy. You need to be in a padded room. Like this guy's got serious mental issues going on. Oh, you think it's gonna it's gonna get worse? So much um, worse. Yeah. No, but look, look. I mean, as a look, as a writer, I my process begins with thinking about my characters, and I don't know what this is about me, but I start to hear my characters' voices in my head. And then I start to dream about them and I start to figure out, you know, what their motivations are, how they look, how they feel, what is the DNA of these characters. But with that being said, I'm not a psychopath and I don't physically see my characters, you know, in the real world. But you are totally right. This guy should have seeked mental help a long time ago. Yeah. So he's just, she's, uh, yeah, you kind of don't know what to, like, you know, he's fucked. Like you get it. His wife left him and, you know, there's obviously some issue with the guy on the VHS type, like you tape you, like you get it, but he's just weird. So the next scene he is, he's throwing a baseball like against, like down a hall, down a dark hallway. I don't even know why. So the hallway at the end is like, like there's no light on, so you can't see it, which is like fucking like, why would you do that? Anyway, he throws it, he throws it a couple of times and it comes back and he's got like a baseball mitt and then he throws it and the ball doesn't come back. And it's like, oh, okay. And then the ball kind of slowly rolls back to him. Um, and that's it. That's that's the end of that's the end of that scene, which is no, but it's not a ball. It's not a ball that rolls back to him. Is it? Is it? It's an orange. It's an orange. All right. It's an orange. Yeah, it's an orange. I, you know, um, I as I was watching this film, I was trying to figure out when he, when he had his psychotic break, hmm. and I think that his psychotic break, his psychotic break, truly began when his computer crashed or that event caused his brain to just go off to la la land i don't know because um, he did, was he was having you, dreams and shit before that happened okay okay but 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 i but i tend to believe that it was that oh okay we'll go with that i yeah i yeah i just saw that differently but we'll go with that for now um so the next scene is when it really turned the movie really turns fucking weird 
So the next morning he starts pulling photos of kind of people he doesn't like and people he knows and he puts them in like order in his kitchen and including the calendar with the girl on it and he starts talking to them like they're there and he starts talking to them like as if they're characters in in his movie and he's pretend yeah he's pretending they're his cast and he he looks at a photo of his of his girlfriend that he's put up and he's he's basically saying everything to her that he basically felt like he couldn't say and he's like the minute i show vulnerability and then he just fucking walks out and so you're like oh okay so the minute that he sort of went that way she kind of she, he thinks she kicked him to the curb and it's like oh Okay, like I get, like, look, if you're writing and you've got a cast of characters and maybe you've got certain actors or actresses in mind, I do understand, like, you printing photos of them out and sort of like going, okay, you're this person, you're that person. Like, I understand, like, how that could help you. So, it, but with all his mental issues going on, I mean, it's not helping. <laughs> For someone that's mentally stable, it, I think it would help, but he talks to the photos as if, they're there. Like he doesn't, he talks to them as if they're the characters, but he talks to them also as if they're like really there and he's trying to get something off his chest, which shows how mentally like not there he is. Um, so anyway, the next scene, the TV turns on by itself and a VHS, the VHS of, of this guy who we don't know who it is starts playing, um, the video that he put in before. Um, and then it goes to like, snow on the screen which is like I, I have to explain this for the young people <laughs> when you put in a VHS and you press stop um, it doesn't go to like some channel it just goes to snow which is just like black and white pixels on on the screen um, static it's white noise yeah yeah it's white noise so it goes to that and then a, uh, an, uh, an image of the guy that was just in the video comes on the screen and says something that I don't know what he said. Do you, I don't know. I rewound that scene like three times. I don't know what he It's like a ghost of like whoever the fuck that guy was. I don't know who – what did he say? I uh, uh, I had – I you know, I, I had trouble understanding it too. I don't know what he said. Yeah. Um, but I just want to say just a couple quick things. Mm-hmm. About this guy, mm-hmm. right? And you guys know on the podcast that my biggest thing is laying hats on the ground. So with this with this individual that the writer keeps referencing in the videos and the pictures, that is good storytelling. So I really, really appreciated that. And as, as unhealthy as a character James Vanderbeek is, I really related when he got the idea that the way to handle the script is to use people within his own life who had wronged him in a way. Now I don't agree about the way that he did it because that is really unstable and that is something you shouldn't do. But as a writer who has pulled from my actual life, so I really identified with that. Yeah. I mean, that's what he did, but then why use the girl on the calendar? She doesn't, he doesn't like know her. So that confused me. I was like, if you're going to talk to the people that wronged you, that's fine. But then why include her? No, he needed, no, no, he needed, he needed, he needed one character that he could, that he could basically fuck around with. And I think 
That's why he chose her. Right. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Okay. So the next morning, um, he he's in bed and he hears music coming from his stereo. When he goes to investigate it, it stops. Um, and then later on, there is um, like a baseball that smashes through his like I think he's like a he's like I don't know a penthouse or something. And there's a park across the road. There's a there's a baseball that smashes through one of his windows, and he goes to it and he yells at the kids you know, fucking stop, stop, blah, 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 blah. I don't know how, like the park is pretty, look, (laughs) to throw a baseball from that far away and to get it in the window, like you would have to be like a fucking baseball athlete. (laughs) That's, that's a, that's far away. Right. But there's a question coming up that I want you to answer. But when he looks at the floor, it's actually an orange. It's not, it's not a baseball. And so he freaks out. So my question is, Did he smash the window or were there actually kids throwing balls? Like what happened? Yeah, I don't get that. Did he do it? Well, there's two thoughts about this. If those kids were fucking Ken Griffey Jr. and had the arm of a major leaguer, it is possible that the window shattered and a baseball did come through, but what he saw was an orange. The The better theory is that that whole fucking thing was in his head and that's why when he looked down after he yelled at the kids who were down in a park at an impossible angle to hit a fucking plain gas window of the warehouse that he was in, I think that that was primarily in his head. But there's there's two ways of looking at it, but I, but I subscribe to the idea that it was in his head. That's why we saw the orange on the ground or he saw the orange on the ground. Yeah, I tend to think it was in his head as well. So the next scene, he he's going to get a piece of cardboard, like a piece of um, like a like a pizza box to cover the broken broken window. So he gets the cardboard, and you see him in the kitchen. And I'd like I I like the shot that the director did from outside the room. So it looks like he's talking to someone because he's like. But you know he's talking to the photos that he's put up. But it but you don't see he's talking to the photos. It just looks like he's talking to someone. But as a viewer, you know he's talking to the photos. I don't know. I just like the shot that he used, and it's so funny. It's like he's having an argument with them. But you obviously don't hear them because it's all in his head. And then he turns around. And he goes, "Well, you don't have to look at it. It's not your house." And then he just storms out. And I'm like, "Oh my god, this guy, <laughs> this guy's crazy." And then he and then he covers the window. Um, thought that scene was quite funny. Anyway, so then we see another flash of some of the same guy falling. So this is the third time we have seen a flash of a man falling. Um, again, it's from underneath. We don't see who he is. We don't see if he jumped, was pushed. We don't see any of that. Um, and then he, James Vanderbeek's character wakes up um, with a woman next to him and he kind of starts freaking out and then he realizes it's the girl from the calendar. And you're like, oh, okay, so he's really descending into mental madness here. And then he kind of gets up, wanders into the living room, and all the pictures he was talking to are actually come to life. They're actually people standing his in his apartment. And then literally he blinks, and it's like, oh, it's all in, in his head. So the, the, the thing with this is in the beginning of the movie – Maybe it's a transitional thing. In the beginning of the movie, he was having dreams that he was waking up, like the blood and the dream at the beginning in the bathtub. But then halfway through the movie, he starts it starts entering his waking life. So my question is, is that on purpose? Is that to show his, he doesn't know whether he's dreaming or awake anymore? I think it is. I, I think it is because progressively, like you said, throughout the course of the film, he just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And I think that, 
the character that James Vanderbeek play that James Vanderbeek plays tries to hold on to some sort of sanity by talking to them. Like I love the way that I, I don't necessarily like the way that the director showed it visually, but I love James Vanderbeek's performance because I still think that there is a shred of sanity that he is trying to hold on to as the thing as this thing as his obsession with getting the script finish you know does to him but unfortunately he can't you know his his mind just couldn't hold on any longer you know you know he 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 let his personal scars eat him alive and he let his failures eat him alive and he and he couldn't escape because his fucking friend locked him in the room yeah, I yeah I agree. I felt like he was trying to hold on to that one bit of sanity sanity that he had, but it was just getting eaten away by the other half of him that was going mental and just like fucking right. eats the the little piece of sanity he was holding on to. So I have a question for you: How long? Because there's no timestamps. How long has he been? in the locked in the apartment for at this point from when his friend locked him in till now how how long do you think he's been in there for his friend locked him in and said he was gonna like he'll open him up either when he's done the draft or before the meeting so it's got to be it's got to be less than 18 days a week that's what i was thinking a week so my issue is (laughs) He's literally been locked inside for a week and he's already going crazy. He's already talking to himself. He's already, and I'm like, dude, you are clearly not an introvert. I could spend months inside and be completely yeah. normal. And I was like, dude, oh, oh God. I was just like, yeah, I don't know. I think I was the only person that actually enjoyed lockdown. <laughs> I was like, this is my time to shine, people. Come to me if you want to know what to do locked inside all the time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just thought, I thought, man, you've been locked inside for a week. I mean, I know that he already had mental issues. Like, I get that. I get that he already he was already like that. But I don't know. I feel like his descent was really quick. Like, so you can't go outside for a week and, and you've gone, kind of like, completely mad. I just thought that that was ridiculous. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, the one thing that this film does very, very well is that it doesn't fuck around with the real, it doesn't fuck around with the real estate that it has. Mm. Whether you like what it does or not, it's very, very efficient in the story that it wants to tell. We may not agree with the execution, but from a structure perspective, it gets moving very, very quickly. And it just keeps going and going and going and going until the very end. Yeah. So it it does not waste time. Yeah, that's true. So anyway, um, the next scene, he calls his friend to let him out. He's like, I've had enough. I, I need out. And his friend's like, well, have you written the script? And he goes, no. And he goes, well, I'm not letting you out until you read the script. And I thought, oh, you dick. You dickhead. You're such a dick. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, oh, my fucking God. Like, I, Yeah, I just Why thought that was he... so fucked. Here's the thing. Why didn't he call the police? Or why didn't he call any other of his friends? Why did he, like... Well, that poses well, the same question as like when his when his like computer died. Why did he do nothing? Like this guy just doesn't do anything. But yeah, you're right. I didn't even think of that. Like, why didn't he call the police or even like not the police? Maybe like the fire department to come in and to break him out. 
Like that's yeah. that's yeah, I don't know. Oh yeah, but this guy clearly has no friends or family or anybody he can he can call and and talk to. Just this one fucker of a friend. And so I thought, oh no, that's fucking shit. Like he's begging his friend. He's like, no, I'm not letting you out until you write it. And it's like, what has this script got to do with this fucking guy? Like this guy, I don't know. I just yeah. I you know what? I think I think that this guy basically wants to take advantage of his friend who James Vanderbeek. I think he wants to take advantage of his friend who is a screenplay writer, and I think that he wants him to write the script because this guy is going to use his friend's script to get into a movie, and he thinks that movie is going to make him profitable. Oh. I think that's what he wants. Oh, okay, yeah. People using people in Hollywood. That's new. <laughs> that's unheard yeah, of. Yeah, we've never heard, we've never heard we've of that. We've never heard of that before. Yeah, no, no you're I, right, I, though. I, I, do, I, I, I do have a question for you, though, mm. because – at one point, James Van Der, uh, James Vanderbeek's character finds a bunch of boxes with VHSs, mm. and one of these one of the VHSs that he puts into the VHS player shows him talking to an individual. So when he started speaking to that individual, did you put two and two together, and did you realize what they were trying to what the director was trying to say? No, or, or would you no? Okay. Nope. I I I put I put it together a lot quicker than you did, and I think that's why all the all the shit about his brother falling down and the and the guy talking to him through the TV really didn't work for me because I put it together a lot quicker um, um, before you did, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So the next scene is uh, now he's wandering around his apartment or warehouse and he's hallucinating people, distracting him from writing. So he's sitting down at his desk oh. and he's trying to write. And so his hallucinations are like like yelling at him, like trying to talk to him. He's like, get away, I'm trying to write. And I'm like, okay, this <laughs> this guy, um, okay. So anyway, the next scene is he sees this guy on the TV again. And he's asking him how it ends. How does it end? And at this point, I'm just like, what is the fucking point of this whole fucking thing? Um, So after that scene, he's writing again. He's getting distracted by his hallucinations. Um, This is the... This is the point of the movie. So this is literally the third act of the movie. The third act I liked. I wish we got to sooner because that's the story. That's the part of the movie I actually was like, oh, I can get on board with this. This is actually quite cool. So... He's getting distracted, distracted by his hallucinations. The, the, you see the clown come in and he hits one of the hallucinations over the head with a bag of oranges. And you're like, oh, okay. And so the next minute, um, this, this hallucination, which is a guy that used to bully him when he was a kid, um, he's like on a noose, like standing on a chair. And he he's writing you can't see that's the thing i wish we could see what he was writing in the script because you never see that would be awesome i would have i would have loved it i would have fucking loved it but again i hated the way that they chose Mm. to represent yeah the i hated the way that they physically showed the actor screenplay writing i thought that they did an awful job with that but i would have loved to see that too yeah i thought that would have been that would have been that would have hit more with me than the way that they did it so you're you're just you're watching jams vanderbeek write but you don't know what he's actually writing on the computer so you've got this guy and he's like hanging by a noose standing on a chair like struggling and then jams vanderbeek is writing something and the guy goes oh no please please don't please don't please don't and then jams vanderbeek presses enter and as he presses enter 
the chair sort of kicks out from under this guy and he just he dies he's just like strangled to death and then he real he realizes and then i realize oh he can actually kill off his hallucinations by writing his script which is kind of the movie that i wanted to see from the beginning <laughs> too little too late i i don't know but did you did you love that when you first saw the movie you're like oh this is actually quite Absolutely. cool i like that quite a bit yeah, I thought that was pretty neat. I was like, oh, this movie's taking a turn. I like that. So the next morning he's writing again and then he starts hallucinating his ex and she's basically on his case. She's bringing up all his failures, all his weaknesses, the fact that he's, you know, just, just he's just, she's just pummeling him with, with words. And I'm like, oh, bitch, you're going to get it. He's going to write you and you're going to die. But then he doesn't. <laughs> but then he fucking doesn't. And I'm like, oh. I don't know. That scene was pointless to me because nothing happened. It was just her berating him and that was it. He never actually did any, in that scene, he never did anything. So I thought that that scene was kind of just like, I don't know. I don't know. It didn't progress the story. Like if you took that scene out, like the story would still be the same. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't really necessary. Look, I really think that this movie is a, is a, is a, is a story about what happens to, someone who goes through someone who has a mental breakdown. And I think it's a story about watching a character go through a mental breakdown. And I don't think that they focused on the, on the aspect that he was a screenplay writer enough. Um, and you know, I, I, you know, I thought that they could have done a much better job with that. I was about um, to say, like, I thought the movie was going to be about like, what it's like to be a screenwriter, but it's really about like what it's like to have mental illness. And as a side note, he just writes screenplays. That's kind mm -hmm. of what it was yeah, to me. Yeah. So I don't know why it was called Final Draft. So anyway, um, the next scene is he's talking to another hallucination and then we finally know who the falling man is and the guy on the videotape and it's his brother who jumped from a hotel window. Um, I don't... I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> like that means in the grand scheme of the story, like it means nothing to me. Like they've built this entire thing up. Like you've been getting flashes of, of this guy falling. And at first I thought it was him. I thought he, he was the one that was falling. I thought, oh, that's the end of the movie. Um, and then you see this VHS tape and then it's like, oh, it's his brother. But like, I don't know. Like I just didn't, I didn't care. And I was like, I don't care for that storyline. I wish this movie kind of jumped around a lot and I don't, I, I don't know. Like, I know what they were going for, but I feel like it wasn't it, – it needed to be tighter. They just put, like, a lot of stuff in that I felt like didn't didn't need to be on there. So, anyway, James Vanderbeek's character, he gets pissed off um, because somebody's brought up his brother killing himself. So then he goes to his computer, he starts writing, and then the clown appears um, next uh, – behind the person that was kind of – saying, oh, your brother committed suicide. He jumped out a window. Uh, he hits the person, the clown hits the person, the guy with a bag of oranges, which I still think is funny. And he knocks him onto knives that are sticking up from the floor. And this, this hallucination is just like dead. Again, I would have liked to seen it, he, James Vanderbeek, like writing it, but that's kind of not, not what we got. Do you have any thoughts on, on that scene? Yeah, I, you know, at this point, as much as I like the movie, at this point, I just wanted it to be over. Because <laughs> the, the movie, look, 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 the movie had promise, but I think it was executed in a way that wasn't ultimately satisfied, wasn't ultimately 
satisfying to me as a screenplay writer mm-hmm. and as a as 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 a watch as a screenplay writer and as a watcher of horror uh, as a watcher of uh horror films yeah or i agree a suspense films i agree so the next scene he's in bed uh with the calendar model and they're about to sort of like get it on and the clown enters he busts into the room hits the girl over the head and then sort of like drags her out of the room and james vanderbeek's like what no no i'm not writing this i didn't want this to happen so james vanderbeek busts out of his bedroom and goes to the living room and she's on the couch and she's like slit her wrists or the clown has made her slit her wrists and he he then looks up up at his writing desk and he sees himself writing it. And so it's like, Oh, okay. So it's like, he's descended even more into madness where now he's seeing himself doing things. So it's kind to me, it was kind of like split personality. Um, but anyway, and then the next scene is the clown kills his ex, the one that was whispering fucking, you know, you're not good enough into his ear. Um, and then the next scene we see, um, we see him write writing at the computer fade to black the end and then he starts to print the script and it's like oh he's he's finished it, it yeah it was a bit yeah it, i don't know thoughts <laughs> yeah i mean the the ending of this movie is a bit rushed um but uh, again i um again i think if you don't if you don't buy into the structure of this film from at least the midway point the second half won't work for you at all Again, there were things I liked about it. There were things I liked about the, you know, uh, about the, you know, third act. But a lot needed to happen in the first two acts for to to make the third act work. And I, I, I thought it was okay, but it could have been a lot better. That scene to me, um, the final scene when he prints out the script and he goes into the bathroom and he does what he does. I think that was telegraphed by the first scene of the film with with him in the bathtub and the and the scissors what did you think about that yeah it was um so the next scene after he prints the script he goes and takes a bath and then he picks up a pair of scissors and you don't really know i mean you know but you don't see anything and then his um his friend finally comes in to fucking check on him and then finds james vanderbeek's character in the bathtub dead because he'd slit his wrists with with um scissors um which (sighs) I don't know. I don't know if it makes sense or not. I don't, it's just, I don't know. I just felt like it was just like, oh, um, okay. I, I guess like, I guess. So he put all his effort into writing this script and then he's like, I can't mentally deal with this, which I mean, you know, it happens. I get it. It's not completely out of the realm of possibility. Um, I just thought it was a bit like, oh, okay. Um, but then the final scene of this movie is his friend grabbing the script and he's walking out and he's in the elevator. And as he's going down the elevator, we see the clown standing behind him in the elevator. And then that's the end of the movie. I don't know if that makes any sense because the clown was only in James Vanderbeek's head. So now that James Vanderbeek's character is dead, I don't know why the clown would be there. I think the director and writer just wanted something cool to end with, like a horror thing, but that made no sense. The majority of the movie made no sense, but that is the end. Uh, just for just for shits and giggles, because I want to see you back against the wall. Do you have any trivia for this film? <laughs> this movie, if you can, okay, <clears throat> if you can find this movie, 
Congratulations. Oh, it's on YouTube, by the way. It's on YouTube. So, you know, you can't, it's not on any streaming service. It is on randomly on YouTube if you want to watch it. Um, I assume, is it for free or do you have to, yeah, is it one of those things you have to pay for? No, it's for free. Okay. So it's for free if, if anybody wants to watch it. It is the only platform. It is, you cannot get it anywhere else because it is such an obscure movie. And the, I know it's got James Vanderbeek in it and he it does a great job because he's a great actor. But the rest of the movie, it feels very, very um, like a college student movie. Filming. Yeah, like a yeah, student filming. Um, it feels mm-hmm. it feels very much like that. The filming, the direction, the writing, like every everything that they were doing, it feels like it's it's somebody's final film for their you know to to, to submit <laughs> to the to the professor. It feels like it feels like it feels like this is a final project to graduate film school. Yes, exactly. That's what it feels feels like. So I couldn't find any trivia on it because I think it's like a college made film. So there's not, there's no, I don't have trivia, which is the first time I think ever because, and it shows you how obscure this movie actually really is. Um, there's no trivia. Sorry guys. Wow. Look at that. Yeah. Uh, well, on that note, um, I will simply say, uh, if you've made it to the end of the podcast and first, let me apologize for the both of us. Cause we are, you know, self pretentious. All right, guys. So with all that being said and done, as, um, I say every, Oh no, I have to mention this first. Um, if you liked the show, uh, thank you so much for listening. And uh, if you come back next week, next week we will be talking about a film that is going to make our heads explode. Uh, but in kind of a happy way, I think, we're going to be talking about Christopher Nolan's, uh, one of Christopher Nolan's early films that he wrote with his brother, a film called Memento. So you have that to look forward to. But as always, I really, really appreciate that you took the time to listen to us. And as I say often, if someone is kind enough to make you, if someone is kind enough to make you a mixtape one day, that must truly mean that they love you. The Mixtape Podcast is a Balloonhead Productions presentation.